This archival program of Design Matters with Debbie Millman was produced for Voice America Internet Radio. New programs with better audio quality are now being produced for Design Observer. You can subscribe in the iTunes Store or at the Observer Media Channel on Design Observer. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the show that takes you inside the provocative and stimulating world of design and branding as it intersects with contemporary culture. Here's your host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. There ain't no reason things are this way. It's how they always been, and they intend to stay. I can't explain why we live this way. We do it every day. Sings Brett Denon on his most recent CD, So Much More. I've been listening to this song repeatedly of late. Not exactly sure why, but I'm not exactly sure why not. All I know, really, is that I agree with him when he states, There's no reason things are this way. I don't know why I say the things I say but I say them anyway. I think it's fair to say that I talk for a living. Whether it is here on the radio, in meetings with clients presenting design, or in school teaching the business of design, I find myself in a state of perpetual vocal motion, espousing one thought, then another, expressing beliefs, philosophies, sometimes even half-baked ideas. All of this is meant to provide a service, or to entertain, or to educate, or simply to share, but lately I've been reconsidering both the awesome privilege and responsibility inherent in public communication and the intrinsic accountability that accompanies it. I've been looking at both the purveyors and the methodologies of communication in our culture. There are the politicians, of course, and news broadcasters, and news magazine hosts, newspaper and magazine writers, designers and editors, and religious evangelists and businessmen, and salesmen, and lawyers, and painters, and rock stars. We all come to our microphones with our mixed, sorted messages and hope that someone is listening. What are all of these words, these diatribes, this opinionating, all of the propaganda? They are now inscribed with an impression of our humanity. I admit it. Magazines have massively influenced me for as long as I can remember. My love affair with the glossy periodical began with two of the best, Weekly Reader and Highlights. Issue after issue, I poured over every word, admiring and analyzing the illustrations, participating in the prescribed activities while imagining a life that could be as interesting and easy and organized as my treasured publications. My fantasy-laden journey continued on with the classic teen tomes. Tiger Beat and Sixteen became my Bibles as I gave my heart away to David Cassidy and Bobby Sherman and persuaded my perplexed parents to let me plaster my bedroom with life-size posters of Marsha Brady and Lori Partridge. This mass consumption of information changed the way I related, perceived, and lived. These messages, by changing the culture in which I participated, evoked a unique composition of sensory perceptions. The extension of any one of these sensory perceptions altered the way I thought and acted. And like passing seasons or a transient fashion trend or any typical transitional object, when these perceptions changed, I changed too. Sometimes for the better, sometimes not. But either way, it was based on someone else's idea of what was groovy or pretty or neat. And whatever that was, I was deeply needed to own and embody a 
piece of it. This impressionality, this impressionability, continued and flourished well into my 20s, long after I moved to Manhattan and tried on the idea of an adult life. Predictably, my new handbook became New York Magazine. With its weekly delivery, my daily existence became an exercise in reinvention. First, I wanted to be part of the Brat Pack, then to write like Marianne Madden. But in the mid-80s, a cover commandeered the newsstands with such a force it nearly knocked me over. It was Gary Trudeau's comic illustration of a Doonesbury character yearning to be a yuppie. I was mesmerized. I wanted to be part of this then chic and fashionable new movement badly. Despite its now dubious demarcation, back then, to me, yuppiness did for self-sufficiency and security and stability and a certain kind of bravado. But yuppiness seemed so far out of my reach that I even badgered my then therapist for tips on how I could become one. My yearning raged on. Several weeks later, while riding the subway, I observed a young woman reading the now epic issue of this magazine. Sitting across from this perky young commanding executive, I longingly lamented this distant state of grace, all the while utterly entranced by the cover art. I imagined sitting side by side by Gary Trudeau, maybe his wife Jane Polly would be there too, donning khaki trousers, all the while indulging in quiche and cappuccinos. Then smack in the middle of my fantasy, I realized the elderly man sitting next to the perky executive was staring at me. I quickly averted my eyes from the magazine and quizzically glanced back at the man. Without saying a word, he just smiled sweetly, a hint of amusement in his eyes, and he shook his head. Then he discreetly mouthed, Two words, not pretty. I raised my eyebrows, but I couldn't help but smile back. Though much of what we read and participate in now is explicit enough to amuse, focus, stimulate, or infuriate us, we hardly notice that in so doing, it continually reorganizes us. The media now has more impact on our culture than any other. One person's quest for yuppiedom might be someone else's crusade for the immortality and retribution of Daryl Klebold, or Si Young Cho is now any example. Last week, I left my office particularly late, but I decided to walk home anyway. The streets were crowded with despondent hockey fans, as the Rangers had just lost the last game of their playoff season. As I navigated the crowds around Madison Square Garden, I chided myself for taking that particular route and decided to put my iPod on to block some of the raucous hooting and hollering. As I fiddled through my minefield of a handbag, I kept walking and inadvertently collided into an irate Ranger fan. I quickly and profusely apologized, but my victim would hear nothing of it. He looked me straight in the eye and angrily told me to watch where I was walking. And then he cursed at me. I paused for a moment, considering a retort, but decided to keep walking. Unsatisfied with my reaction, he tried another tactic, name-calling. As he shouted out to my back, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. He yelled, stupid yuppie. At that moment, 
I didn't know if I should run for cover or turn around, smile, and thank him. Welcome to Debbie Millman. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Welcome to the wild and wacky world of Debbie Millman today. I'm your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the extraordinary designer, Luke Heyman. Before we get started with our interview, please let me tell you a bit more about him. Luke Heyman was born in Hemel Hempstead, England, in 1966, making him a wee young pup. He studied graphic design at Central St. Martin's School of Art in London. He moved to New York City in 1992 and has been living and working here since. He joined Pentagram's New York office as partner in December 2006. Prior to joining Pentagram, Luke was the design director of New York Magazine and the creative director of Travel and Leisure Magazine. In addition, he was senior partner in the brand integration group in the New York office of Ogilvy & Mather. Luke's, many, Luke's work in editorial design is widely recognized and has been featured in many design publications and blogs. This year alone, his work swept both the Society of Publication Design Awards and the National Magazine Awards, where New York Magazine won for Best Design. Welcome, Luke. Hi, Debbie. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. Well, you know, when I first asked you to be on the show, you were working at New York Magazine, and little did I know that I would have the great scoop of the year in getting your first live interview <laughs> as a designer at Pentagram, so I'm feeling very proud of myself this morning. <laughs> um, so thank you very much for agreeing to be on the show. And one thing that I, I often like to ask my guests, especially when they're prolific and accomplished designers, is if they could share their first creative memory, the first memory they have of being creative in their lives with my listeners. Um, I mean, my cr first creative uh, moments, I'm sure, were at school. I mean, I can remember being um, always, always attracted to the to the art classes, and always that being my favorite part of the week, and that also being where my friends came from. So it would it would be back then. Um, I don't remember. Specifically, it was probably it was probably copying an album cover or a you know a Pink Floyd album cover done in terrible you know fake realistic acrylic paint something like that. And did you always feel that you wanted to be a designer growing up when you were a little boy? Did you think when I grow up I want to be a designer, or did you want to be something else? You know, I, it was really quite early. Um, I think I was. Um, I think I was about 13 or something. I was in London. Um, I, I grew up in the country, but we used to visit London a lot. We had relatives in London. And my brother and I would uh, be allowed to sort of uh, go off on our own. We'd go to the bookstores and magazine stores um, around sort of Covent Garden area. And I remember going into this um, fabulous bookstore, which had a lot of magazines. And I picked up this magazine called Creative Review. Oh, of and, course. You know, I, I bought it and I, you know, I devoured it. I took it home, and my father saw that I was doing that, uh, noticed it, and um, I got, I think it was for a Christmas present or something. He got me a subscription to it and also got me a lot of back issues. And um, you know, from then I, you know, realized that there are jobs doing this, and um, you know, I, I started to learn about the design and advertising world and just sort of. An appreciation for it, and so that's 
you know, I, I knew then that that was something that interested me a lot. I didn't, um, you know, all the way along, I didn't know whether I'd be able to work in this field. I, I, you're always told, um, you know, it's a very competitive field, very competitive field. Always told that. And, and my mother told me that she, when she was at school, she had actually been interested in um, uh, design or publishing and things like that. And, and her teacher's advisors had told her to, um, that it was very competitive. And she'd been told to sort of, or had agreed with her parents that she'd go to um, secretarial college, just as something to fall back on and be safe. And, so what uh, it, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to ask you what your mother did. did. Was she also a designer? I mean, she ended up being a, a secretary, and she uh, actually ended up working in a publishing firm. So she was around it. And um, I mean, in the end, she ended up mostly being a librarian as well as a stay-at-home mom. But, um, you know, it, it, I got a lot of encouragement from my parents. Um, you know, I think a lot was to do with the fact that my mother probably regretted the fact that she, you know, didn't have the opportunity. And it's, I'm sure it's partly partly because she was a woman um, in that era and, and, you know, partly because everyone said it's too competitive. So, uh, they're, yeah, they're very encouraging. Well, she must be very proud of you now. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, Luke, we're going to talk more about your current career when we come out uh, back from our break. I'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the designer, Luke Heyman. We will be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away. 401s, stock, mortgage, retirement, wealth. We cover it all. Voice America Business. Welcome to Voices of Design, brought to you by Adobe, where creative professionals speak out about their work and what inspires them. We're speaking with Paul Sidlow, the CEO and founder of Resonate, a design agency that develops the media identity for clients across a broad range of platforms. Paul, tell us how you begin the process of creating a brand for a client. We create a language that bears the brand of that company. To do that, we will take keywords of a brand attribute, a smart, illuminate, and make that into to an icon. And so our job is to provide, quickly define that language. And it's a little bit like sculpting. You got a block and somewhere in there is that person. And you carve that person out through this process. And the faster you can get to that, the more efficient you are and the more time you save that customer in getting to market. You've been listening to Voices of Design, brought to you by Adobe. Coming up in the next break, Paul Sidlow talks about creating imaginary worlds. It has been said that to live is to choose, but to choose well, you must know who you are and what you stand for, where you want to go, and why you want to get there. On Reap What You Sow, with host, performance management specialist, and executive coach, Alana Daly, achievement and success through expanding yourself and your life is available at the click of a mouse. Reap through redefining your goals. Educate your mind, your body, your conscious, and unconscious. Apply what you learn and plan, and it shall be. Success over and over again, and wealth result when you Reap regularly. Reap what you sow with Alana Daly. Broadcast each Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Reap what you sow. Learn the rules of the game. Then play better than anyone else. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. Uh. 
We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 3.18 Eastern Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is designer Luke Heyman. If you'd like to join our conversation, if you have a question for Luke, our phone lines are now open. You can call 1-866-472-5790. And Luke, um, first of all, I want to congratulate you on all of your latest awards. First, the National Magazine Awards, and now your current sweep at the Society of Publication Designers. Were you surprised by all the wins, or was was everybody telling you to be prepared for the big sweep? Um, you know, it's it, it it was surprising because um, we'd actually won last year the uh, ASME for design and uh, the um, General Excellence, and also for SPD we'd won the um, Magazine of the Year. So it was really, really special to win it twice in a year. Twice in a row. Yes, it's um, amazing. Quite, a, quite an extraordinary feat. Now, in his acceptance speech, um, and, and I know that you know this. Everybody's been talking about it and <laughs> analyzing it, and I think you even know what I'm about to ask you. But I mean, in his, in his acceptance speech for New York Magazine's Design Award, editor in chief Adam Moss jokingly called you a traitor. Milton Glaser gave you lots of compliments and kudos, and then Adam Moss called you a traitor. Um, is it bittersweet to be sweeping all of the award shows now that you've left New York Magazine and? Have you also spoken to Adam about what he said and why he said it? Yeah, I mean, he's, um, <laughs> I think my leaving was uh, a bit of a shock. It was, you know, it happened quicker than, you know, I thought it was going to happen. It was just, um, the, you know, the way things went. So, um, but he is, you know, he's a terrific guy and a gentleman, and I think he was just, uh, you know, just a little bit of humor in there. Um, but I also, I have to say, um, all of these awards, and, um, you know, in, in magazines in general and especially in um, weekly magazines where there is so much work done so quickly that this, these, these awards, even for design, are, you know, their credit should be taken by so many people, including the photo department and, and Chris Dix and the uh, art director there, as well as um, Adam Moss himself, who is an incredibly creative um, editor-in-chief. In fact, we call him the creative director, really. Um, now, uh, what would you say is the, the biggest thing that you learned in your time working with Adam? Um, you know, it's just, um, he was always, he was always pushing things, he, he would always just push things further, and he would, um, you know, you know, I think what, what New York Magazine was very good at, and, and what, you know, we learned to do over the two and a half years I was there, was to sort of um, put over a tone of voice. Um, so you, you really, the magazine really had a personality and you felt you were sort of, it wasn't coming from a corporation, but coming from more of a, a sort of, you know, someone who you know, um, you know, a real person. And so, I mean, it's a very subtle thing and very hard to pinpoint exactly what that is or even, you know, translate that into design uh, and photography. But, um, you know, he, he thought about magazines in a very nuanced way, that, you know, that just the, the tone of everything, the language, the amount of time he spent uh, sort of uh, writing and rewriting headlines and decks and just to get that sort of that feeling and that 
of uh, that that tone, basically. Um, you know, he's very, 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 very smart guy. Um, Luke, we have a caller. We have Catherine on the line. Catherine from Las Vegas. Uh, thank you for calling Design Matters. Hi. Hi, Catherine. Uh, Luke, I was wondering if you could tell me uh, what made you decide to go into editorial design. Um, you know, I, I I've always it's funny because I've I've always done a lot of editorial design, but I've also done other design. And several times in my career, I've deliberately left magazines to do more general design, you know, identity branding, and you know, books. I love doing books, but for whatever reason, I got drawn back into magazines a lot just because of you know exciting opportunities. Um, but I do, you know, I, I love editorial design because I love um, the pace of them, the pace of magazines. Um, sometimes they're a little too quick, like weeklies are really quite quick. Oh, I think we lost our caller. Did we? Yes, but can, I'm still interested in the answer. <laughs> um, but, um, and, uh, you know, I've also worked on, uh, I worked at ID Magazine where it was sort of every two months. Um, but the, the pace of a magazine is wonderful because you can, uh, at a weekly especially, you can design something and two days later you have it printed. And that's very satisfying and, you know, uh, there's something thrilling about that. It's thrilling. It's also good that it's so ephemeral and you know what you do is basically going to be in the garbage within a week or even a matter of hours sometimes. Um, so you can afford to be uh, experimental. You just you actually do an awful lot of design. It's just so much, um, so many pages get done, and so many illustrations get commissioned, so many photographs get commissioned and used, and so many um, you know layouts get done, which is you know that's, that's kind of fun. Where I've, you know I've had some experience at large corporate identity firms, which you know sometimes you know. The upside of that is also wonderful, the fact that you can work on a brand and work on a logo that's around for years. But I've also worked on logos for months and months and months, and, you know, nothing happens to them quite often. This is true, and yes. So, um, you know, but when they do, it's great. So, you know, it's, it's, um, I, I think it's the, it's the opportunities to do lots of things, do them quickly and have them done and, and, you know, see stuff produced and printed. Uh, I think that's part of the thrill of editorial for me. And also, you know, hopefully, if you're lucky, you can work uh, with great content and with, you know, great editors. And, um, I mean, one of, you know, I've worked at lots of sort of design and architecture magazines where, you know, I'm, you know, passionately interested in the subject matter. And um, so it's just great to be able to work with that material. And then, you know, you work somewhere like New York Magazine where everything is different. Uh, every article is, every sort of feature is different every week. So, uh, and, you know, Good editors and good writers. It's, it's a pleasure to to work with that material. Now, I read that you said that weeklies are exhilarating when things are going well, but hell when they're not. Yeah. And what, what kind of things go wrong? Is there any any particularly good war stories you could share with our listeners? You know, it's what what happens on a on a, a weekly on a good weekly. Um, you know, this is the reason we curse your editors, but you kind of love them at the same time because. They're doing it for the right reasons, but you know things will change, um, and change right up to the last minute. I, we've been, you know, we would work on covers that were closing. Um, you know, they have to basically be 
finished by 11, 12, 1 o'clock at night. And we've been working on covers that um, at 4 o'clock that day, it's decided that they're not working. And so you come oh, wow. else. And, you know, and it's like, holy, holy smoke. That's, <laughs> you, <know. laughs> you can curse on the air. We're not censored. It's okay. <laughs> um, so. Was it harder than working at Big? I know that the uh, Brand Integration Group, the hours were crazy and, and lots of overnights, but it sounds to me like some of the hours at New York Magazine could have been like that as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I would say the closed nights, we would, I would be there to one or two, and um, sometimes uh, some of the deputy art directors especially, um, they could be there until, you know, 4 o'clock. And, then, you know, when we first got there, we were redesigning whilst putting out an issue uh, every week um, and, you know, new staff, new editors, new everything. And um, so it was particularly brutal at the beginning. And it, it settled down to just being, you know, mildly brutal uh, where, uh, you know, two or three nights would be 10, 11, midnight, things like that. Um, I just want to ask you one one more question, one or two more questions about New York Magazine, and then move on to what you're currently doing. But um, what I, from what I understand, in the, as you were working, as you started working on New York Magazine when you first began uh, with Adam, you were interested in restoring the magazine to the prominence of its heyday under the founders uh, Clay Felco, Milton Glaser, and Walter Bernard. And I, I want to know um, if uh, you felt that you accomplished that and why you felt that that was particularly its heyday. Um, well, it, it was actually part of the brief going in from Adam Moss. Um, you know, I, I, I've, of course, heard of New York Magazine and, uh, you know, read it while I lived in the city. Um, not every week, but, you know, now and again I'd subscribe. And, and I knew of its, you know, I, I, I knew that it was well-respected. But Adam actually grew up um, when... Uh, I think in Long Island, and his parents subscribed to it. And he used to, he, he said he used to just, he just couldn't wait for the next issue to come. Oh, I'm the, I was the same way, exactly yeah, I, I the mean, same it, way. It's funny, the more, you know, the more people I talked to about it, you'd, you'd find people like that who were just sort of, they were obsessed with this magazine. Um, and, you know, it was all very new and fresh. And, uh, and you know, he, he really, I mean, that's the reason he took the job, I think, was, you know, had you know, fantastic memory of this magazine. I wanted to, um, you know, do that again in a modern way. And do you feel like you accomplished that? Um, you know, I don't think, you know, I'm sure everyone agrees that I don't think a magazine can have the impact that a magazine had in the 60s and 70s and 80s even just because of, you know, the media, uh, different kinds of media and, and the way people get media now. So, um, but I do think it's, I do think it's a great magazine, and it, it uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think it achieved a lot. And well, the last still achieving a lot. Well, I do love it. I, I, I am subscribing again for years of having not. I, I did renew my subscription from from my early 90s, and, and, uh -huh. and I'm now back to being a regular reader. But I also, one last question that I had about the magazine was one of my favorite uh, parts, which is the, the the part that starts the week which is uh, the graphic that you created and asked designers to do uh, every week. And I wanted to know how that came about. Um, that's actually one of my favorite parts of the scene, too. Um, it's uh, the idea, there was an editorial idea to um, have 
an editor or several editors pick what they consider to be the high priorities of the week. The, the five things that you must do if you're in New York, you know, the show you should see, the restaurant you should go to, the, the great movie that was opening that week. And uh, we had to come up with a way of showing it, um, which was economic and not, um, you know, it's preceded by um, the section called the culture pages, which already shows a lot of, um, you know, movie stills and theater photos, uh, you know, photos of authors, things like that. So to re-show that imagery would have been redundant. So, and, you know, cost-wise, it's always an issue. There's so many photographs in, in that magazine, and there are so many costs. So we came up with this idea of just doing um, doing it typographically and, and finding uh, type designers, typographers, graphic designers, illustrators, giving them this very tight brief of uh, um, basically spelling out what what those five high priorities are for the week. And, um, you know, we, we, we to ha have it all sort of hold together, and, and it was partly a, an aesthetic thing with how that back section was working, which was it's essentially, if people haven't seen it, sort of a listing section. Um, you know, we, we, we basically told people of, uh, you know, it had to be in red and black and a certain size and... Um, certain sort of uh, hierarchies of the type, so it, it functioned as well. Um, but it, but it was it was it's a great project because um, so many different designers would would bring um, completely different solutions to this uh, to this you know to this brief. Did you end up being inundated by people asking you if they could design that section? There were you know there were quite a few there were quite a few people <laughs> who would ask. Um, and, uh, you know, to tell you the truth, at the beginning, we didn't know how long it would last. There were lots of ideas you'd, you'd have, and then, you know, the editor or various editors would have different, you know, different ideas of how to sort of structure the magazine. We, you know, there were lots of conversations changing it. So we were, we were quite protective at the beginning. We were like, let's try and get as many kind of famous people as we can. And we got, to, you know, we've got Milton Glaser did one, which was, you know, really exciting for us. Um, and, you know, Neville Brody, and, um, you know, on and on. We've had so many amazing people do it. And then, you know, after a while where it seemed to be a little more settled, um, we thought it would be fun to, you know, branch out, and um, we had, um, I think, a student do it. We had um, uh, someone... The Speak Up contest? Yeah, then we went on the Speak Up contest, uh, which was great, and there were many great solutions in that. Um, so, yeah, it was, it's good. Well, Luke, um, we have to take our, our next break, but when we come back, I want to talk to you about what it's like to have spent the last uh, five or six months at Pentagram. Uh, in the meantime, I'd like to let everybody know that they are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is designer Luke Heyman. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages. Please don't go away. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. Welcome back to Voices of Design. 
We're speaking with Paul Sidlow of design agency Resonate. Paul, when you're creating a brand for a client, the worlds you can create can become quite complex. Tell us about that. A specific example, there's a promo we recently did for The Triangle, which is a new sci-fi series. Typically, those spots are pure imagination and pure complexity. So in this case, it's a The Triangle. It's this kind of fictionalized place where planes, boats, and people disappear. To create that kind of uh, mysterious world, we created all the components as layers by using After Effects. I'm talking about a layer app that uh, is 150 layers deep where uh, everything, every component from uh, lightning to waves to ships and 3D clouds and the rain are all rendered from the same scene as separate components. You've been listening to Voices of Design, brought to you by Adobe. Coming up in the next break, Paul Sidlow talks about the future of design. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. 200 years ago, Lewis and Clark discovered the West. That is, if you don't count the millions of American Indians who discovered it first. Because Lewis and Clark left one civilization only to find dozens of others that despite everything are still here today. Walk with Lewis and Clark at lewisandclark200.org and see what you discover, because their trail winds through us all. This is a public service message of the National Council of the Lewis and Clark Bicentennial, the Missouri Historical Society, and the Ad Council. The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 3.35 Eastern Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is designer Luke Heyman. If you'd like to join our conversation, if you have a question for Luke, our phone lines are open. You can call 1-866-472-5790. And, Luke, we actually have two callers on the line for you. First is Jennifer from New York. Thank you for calling Design Matters. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Luke. Hi, Jennifer. Um, I have a pretty basic question, but it's one that everybody always talks about in, in the industry. Um, who do you think is better designers, British or American? And I know it's a very vague question because better is a vague term, but what's your impressions of American versus British design? Um, <laughs> are you talking, I mean, I can talk a little bit more specifically about editorial design, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's interesting because British magazines are, are very different from American magazines, partly because of their business model. I'm sorry, can you hear this? There's yeah. a huge traffic jam going on outside our window here. Um, and, you know, the, the British uh, business model of magazines involves selling many more copies on the newsstand, and so the, design, the, the magazines are actually designed that way, and that's uh, a, a lot of 
um, it started to influence magazine design over over here when Maxim came along, and uh, the way they design uh, covers and their interiors uh, are really uh, aggressive, uh, with m much you know uh, display copy and you know use of fluorescence and a lot of sort of uh, quite tacky uh, devices that have come across here as well with the tabloid news magazines. Um, and, and, you know, they're designed that way for a reason, and they're very, there are some people over there who are very, very good at, good at it, and it's done very artfully. Um, yet, you come to America, and um, magazines are, have much larger staffs, and uh, the business model is really uh, more about getting um, subscribers um, rather than newsstand sales. And um, it allows for a different kind of design and more space, and uh, it, it's more about uh, having a product that's more, really more beautiful and doesn't have to sort of um, perform in the same way. So, you know, they're the, the, the quite different, and they're both good in their own way. I, you know, I really don't think... I, I, I don't think you can say that there's better design in Britain. I think there's more design in Britain. It seems um, that design has sort of pervaded the high street more than it has in the States. Um, it's just partly probably the, the sort of the way the economy is and um, how, you know, things as mundane as banks. For a long time, even when I was living in Britain about 15 years ago, banks and uh, building societies, they really started to um, get designed and redesigned every few years their identities and this, their interiors and their, um, um, you know, a lot of custom font work was, was being done over the last 10 years. You know, each building society or bank would have its own custom font. Um, you see a lot more of that happening here, and, I, and I'm sure it's just sort of the nature of the business and the competition and how hard they have to, to try to differentiate themselves from each other. So, um, but I don't think, you know, British are inherently more talented or <laughs> the Americans are inherently more talented. Um, you know, I think you can find great things um, pretty much all over the world, actually. Apart from okay, the Dutch, the Dutch. Oh, no, so I just, I just want to say, that apart from the Dutch, who are the best. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for calling, Jennifer. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. I believe we have another caller on the line. Isabel, thank you for calling Design Matters. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Luke. Well, it's really funny. While I was sitting and on hold, you actually answered my question because I want to know which publications uh, did you think did a good job, and you said Maxim. So rather than <laughs> ask who's doing a good job, let me ask, who do you think, who would you love to just, which publications would you love to just get in and, and, and rework or help? Like, who do you think could benefit from a different perspective, let's say? That's an oh. interesting question. I'd love to hear the answer to this. I don't know. That's, that's, uh, you know, I, I, I would, you know, in, some, in some ways I'd love to design a newspaper. I, you know, I say that and then other times I think that would be crazy. It's just, it's, it's so, it's so, uh, technical and involved. Um, but, you know, I would, one thing I will say about uh, newspaper design that I think it is um, more advanced in, in general, not always, but more advanced in Europe. Um, and, you know, specifically the one, the, the newspaper that kind of excites me the most when I see it is The Guardian in, in, uh, in London, which I think is 
most incredible design. Um, uh, and uh, you know, I think it, it might be, you know, it might be very exciting design in a uh, newspaper over here. But I don't want to. Take and if, are there any that you'd want to work with? Like the New York Times, perhaps they're too conservative, or would you just want to do a regular daily for just the everyday person, like the Post or the Daily News or something? Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, you know, I think each each project has its own sort of, um, you know, opportunities. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't sort of like to just work on one kind of project. I, 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 I really think there are opportunities across any kind of. Pretty much any kind of project, even you know a tabloid, I think could have great, great potential to do some very exciting design. There's a, another magazine that I think is really excellent um, in Britain called Grazzi, which is sort of like a um, fashion and gossip um, tabloid magazine, like uh, you know Us Weekly or People or something. But it's done so incredibly well, and um, it's. Um, it, it still has the energy and the sort of um, uh, fun and uh, sort of a cr crazy tabloid appeal of, of a magazine that needs to, but it's actually done very beautifully and um, handsomely. So, um, you know, I, I think I think every project can be well designed. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you for calling, Isabel. Hi. So, Luke, what a year you've had. You, oh, we got that dial tone again, pesky. Um, so you recently left New York Magazine about five or six months ago to go to Pentagram, where your first big project was the redesign of Time Magazine. <laughs> Talk about going from the, you know, fuel to the fire. How did that feel to work on such an incredible icon like Time Magazine? Well, that, I mean, that, that's, you know, a dream project for a magazine designer. Um, and... I did it, um, first of all, as you said, that, you know, Paula Scher invited me to do this with her. She had got the call from uh, Time magazine, and at that time, it was back in probably September of last year, I was, um, you know, well into talks with Pentagram about moving over here. And she called me and said, you know, I've had this call, why don't we do it together? Uh, and so the... The proposal that we put together was a, was a joint effort, and um, you know what an amazing opportunity! It's just you know, probably the most recognisable brand in magazines. You know, it's iconic. So very exciting, very exciting to be involved. Now you said that when uh, when the opportunity when Paula got the opportunity from Time Magazine, your conversations about coming over to Pentagram were well underway. So how did the relationship, or even the um, initial contact in, do you get a phone call from Paula or Michael and say, hey, Luke, what you doing? You want to come over and work with us? How did that happen? Well, um, I had one of my many jobs in New York City was working for Abbott Miller, one of the partners here. I'd, and um, design writing research? Design writing research before he yes. was a partner. So I've, we stayed friends, and um, you know, every few months we'd have dinner. And... Um, so, you know, it was actually an email from him initially saying, would you like to come and present your work to Pentagram? Um, which is, um, with, with, you know, he, he, I think there was a sort of, I put, put in the conversation in the email that, you know, with the, with, you know, I, I can't remember exactly how it went, but the, I, I knew that to give a presentation here was, 
Um, it's not always. They, they have lots of presentations by people who are obviously not going to be partners or want to be partners, but I knew it, it is part of the process. The very first part of the process, if you're going to be invited or, or, or start up a sort of um, dialogue about that, um, is to present to the uh, present to the whole office here in, in New York if you're based, based here. So um, that's how it started, and that was back in February. So I came and spoke to them, and then we um, went out for dinner, and it sort of came up more sort of specifically. And then... Um, and then, and then it goes through a whole process. I'm not sure if you know, uh, but it, it, it takes a minimum of. Uh, uh, it just it took me actually just under a year, which was I think quite fast. But uh, uh, it, it the process involves um, meeting all the partners in all the offices and um, having them uh, bring up as part of their sort of uh, international um, meetings, which they have twice a year. It's it goes through this um, process, so it's not something that's rushed. But um, I, I actually moved very quickly, partly because of this time job, which was uh, had happened just before they were their, um, their last um, international partners meeting. So that that first initial meeting where you went to show your work, did you? How long did you spend putting your presentation together before that meeting? <laughs> <laughs> Long time. I could only imagine. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, when you were working with Paula on on the redesign of time, were you nervous? Were you intimidated by the idea of of working with such an incredible powerhouse? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> how did you How did you get through that? <laughs> you, know, you know, she is incredible, and uh, yeah, she is incredible. Very honest and. It was such a pleasure, and I think we both had a really good time. Um, you know, she, it was. Uh, you know, she would have ideas, I would have ideas. Things would just come out, and it wasn't. You know, it, it just happened very quickly and very naturally. It was. It was actually a, a wonderful process, and um, you know, she, she was clear that she didn't. You know, she she said, you know, I want to be involved very much in the concepting and uh, thinking about it, but um, she said, you know, you can take care of the type and the grids. You know, she's really not bothered. She's not going to obsess about the, um, you know, the exact cut of whatever font uh, we're using. She was much more interested in the broad strokes and the big picture. Um, so, you know, I, I took care of a lot of the sort of typography, which was, you know, something I was very happy to do and enjoyed. So. Now, what would you say were the biggest challenges in working with a magazine like Time? Um, the biggest challenges, I mean, it, it was, they were on a very aggressive schedule. Um, uh, so things were done very quickly and um, as is, I mean, it's the same same with uh, pretty much any magazine. There's, there's lots of sort of, uh, Changes and second guessing, and you know, trying out new things, and you know, are they working? Are they not? And getting, getting sort of consensus, and that's that's always the that's always the difficult thing, especially for a larger company. But you know, they were very very good, and uh, worked very well with the team there. Uh, I actually went the first four months. My first four months at Pentagram were actually not at Pentagram. I was had an office at Time Magazine, working working with um, their art director Arthur Hogstein and you know his two deputies. Uh, Cindy Hoffman and D.W. Pine, and you know they were very much involved. It's, it's very collaborative, and 
Rick Stengel, the, um, edit, the managing editor there. So. Now, was the uh, redesign tested with readers? Was there any consumer research done, or was it something that was just put out into the market based on the collaborative efforts of the team, uh, your team, and, and the time team? There were a couple of focus groups, and and, um, and, and then towards the end, a lot of showing it around, um, you know, internally within Time Inc. Uh, but there really wasn't that much testing. Uh, but I think it was just because of the speed of it, there wasn't time. Now, time obviously, um, there's, there's been a lot of um, a lot of articles written about the changes at Time, the changes at Time Inc. Um, what do you think? Of the what 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 are the biggest changes you found in the way the um, culture is taking in information? Um, I know that the internet has obviously played a big part. The blogosphere has, has played a big part. But what do you how do you see this evolution of the way that we consume media changing in our culture now? Um, I, I mean, I think it's it's exactly as you said. It's um, it's 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 the blogosphere and and the internet. So many people are wanting and getting their news so much more quickly that it puts sort of newspapers and magazines in a funny position. Um, but having said that, it's you know it's generational. I, I think you know there's a, still a huge amount of people who still like to get the newspaper and and um, may also you know simultaneously get some news, some quick hits from the internet, but uh, want want, uh, you know, a printed version as well. But I, I think, you know, I, I have a brother-in-law who's 29 now, and um, I remember having conversations with him while I was at New York. We were talking about the current issue, and and I'd realized that the, the magazine had only come out that day, and no way had he been able to get his copy and talk about this article. And he, he basically read the whole magazine online. Mm. Um, uh, and that sort of shocked me because he'd, he'd read, you know, he'd read an awful lot and, uh, you know, long stories. It's not just sort of skimming through the headlines and the top level. Um, he'd actually done a lot of reading. And, uh, and I think, you know, his generation, definitely people younger, don't, you know, don't have the habit of, of magazines or newspapers as much as, as older people. So it's, you know, it's definitely changing. Well, I might be prejudiced, but I, I well, I do... While I have abandoned newspapers in the flesh, so to speak, to newspapers online, there's still something enormously gratifying about opening up the pages of a magazine and becoming consumed and enveloped by the world of that magazine. Um, although I think Time is a magazine that suffered probably more than, than, than many other magazines, probably because our news is something that we want so quickly now. And while magazines are certainly delivering news, there's also so many other non-necessarily timely yeah. uh, features that there's still, I think, a reason for being. Um, do you feel that the redesign has helped Time in their, in address some of their issues? Or do you feel like the, the redesign was even um, in a part of addressing those issues? Yeah, yes, obviously it was definitely um, you know part of the conversation that's going on and it's going on at all newspapers, news magazines, and um, you know that part of their strategy, I think, is to you know focus on having trusted and you know the, the, the top experts in certain fields being able to give analysis on the news. So it's not just 
you know, what the news is, it's sort of why and, you know, and, you know, what next and how to spin it forward or how to, to see how it affects your, your life or the world. It's not just these are the facts, which is, uh, it's more the analysis. And, you know, we, that sort of got expressed design-wise in um, the columnists um, towards the front of the magazine where their names are more prominent than the headlines of the story. Mm -hmm. They're sort of building the brands of these people. And then towards the back, um, in a very newspaper way, actually, the, the writers in the back two sections are sort of, uh, their names are larger up front. They're actually little headshots of these people. Um, so that's, uh, and then, you know, we, we were very strong on um, committing or recommitting to, you know, large photo essays and, and graphically represented stories. Um, you know, they have fabulous um, infographic capabilities at that time. And um, I think, you know, going forward, we're going to be doing, um, you know, something to be developed and, you know, encouraged and, and the photography, of course, the, the photojournalism and seeing, seeing um, you know, double-page spreads, you know, photos treated with, given lots of space and taken very seriously. And I think that is something you can do in a magazine that the Internet um, doesn't give you quite the same uh, sort of effect. It's interesting because when I was reading the... Um News release, press release by Richard Stengel, the managing editor of Time. Um, one of the things that he was articulating was that in the effort to redesign the magazine, in, in as much as they wanted to modernize the design, they were also hearkening back to the magazine's roots, which was essentially one of the things that Adam Moss was saying they, that you and he were trying to do when you originally were uh, redesigning New York Magazine. So what, what do you think is that, that desire to harken back to uh, uh, the roots or uh, a, a heyday, so to speak? Do you feel like there's been decades of, of magazine writing and, and, and printing that has, has moved away from the original intent and now there's a desire to go back? What do you think, or do you think that's just a, a funny coincidence? I, I think it's probably a coincidence. It's, it's probably the fact that they both um, are... Brands that have been around for a long time, so you know, all, all magazines go through phases. Um, you know, it, it was slightly different from for time because we we didn't go, we didn't really go all the way back to its roots. We went back to the sort of Walter Bernard era, um, and it was it, it really comes down to um, the choice of, uh, of uh, reintroducing Franklin Gothic. Um, which they'd still had a sort of, you know, a, a very close cousin of what they've been using the last sort of 10, 11 years. But we went back to, the, to that. And it was, you know, they, they refer to it as the time DNA. And every time we sort of moved away from that when we were sketching, it just felt like another magazine and um, just didn't have that, that really strong, bold, confident sort of news time magazine aesthetic, which we felt, you know, they, were, they owned that and they should sort of continue to own that. And it just felt, felt, felt good, felt right, really. Well, I think you've done a, a wonderful job with the redesign, Luke. And, you know, one of the things um, that I, I found in the research is a couple of different quotes over the years. You first, I first read that when you were at Trouble and Leisure, you thought you had the, the greatest gig around and that you had no intention of ever leaving and that when you heard about the job at New York Magazine, you were afraid that you would never get the opportunity again and that something like that would never be offered to you. And, 
and now here you are at Pentagram. And so I wondered if you had any advice for people in, in our closing moments of the show. I know that Abbott Miller had a, had a great influence on you as a mentor, and I, I was wondering if you would have any advice for people that were looking to build an extraordinary career, what one thing you might tell them. Um, I think, you know, bringing up Abbott is, is absolutely the right the right thing and something I tell everybody. I I, was, I, th- I consider myself really lucky to have had um, three mentors, one in London, Simon Esterson, who, uh, who's an incredible typographer and a newspaper magazine designer. Um, and then um, my first into ID magazine was a, as an associate art director under um, uh, Tony Arafin, and then... Uh, and then then at Design Writing Research with Abbott Miller, and you just learn so much working with great people. Well, thank you so much, Luke. Thank you for joining me today. Unfortunately, we've come to the end of the broadcast, and I'd just like to thank you so much for your time. I'd like to give a very special thanks to our sponsor, Adobe, and my executive producer, Brian Travis, at Voice America, Lisa Grant and Jen Simon and Sterling. Joining me next week on Design Matters is design writer, educator, and critic, Alice Twemlow. Thank you for listening, and please remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I am Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you next week. Voice America Business would like to thank you for tuning in for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Be sure to listen every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for another exciting hour of Design Matters. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business.